to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. It's a blessing to be here. As he said, I'm the overseer of the U-Turn for Christ Drug and Alcohol Restoration Ministry, but it's a ministry of anything, whatever causes you separation from God. We've had guys come in there that have been addicted to television. We've had guys that come in addicted to work, addicted to, addicted to, addicted to. And uh, I'm thankful for this church that behind it, Pastor Joe, Pastor Vinny, they come out and teach on Friday night, and uh, they give up a good word, and it's exciting. And uh, unfortunately, right now, it's uh, people say, how's the ministry? And I say, unfortunately, business is always good. If you got a pen, write this number down. It's a number you're not going to want to forget. 93,133. That's not my salary. That's not my honorarium. I'm sad to say that's the number of people in this country last year died from overdose. 93,133. And to put that into context, for a lot of us who remember the Vietnam War, I think it went on for 14 years, where we lost, I think it was 52,000 brave men and women over a 14-year period. 52,000. They had guns, grenades, tanks, bombs, and we lost 52,000 people over 14 years in a war. Last year in this country, we lost 93,133 young men and women. And I'm sure that number's higher. That's only the documented ones. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And thankful to this ministry of You Turn for Christ and your church and your prayers. Prayer changes things. That's the only thing I can tell you. I guarantee you that. And that's how the only way we're going to win this war. And uh, they said, oh, it's because of COVID. Oh, it was because of... It was cause of, it was cause of, no, it's cause of sin that we allow this nonsense to go on in our lives. And uh, I think cause of this ministry of U-Turn for Christ, that number is not 93,150. I don't know what the number could be. We've had an impact in our little sphere. Have I changed that 93,000 number? I hope so. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is uh, restoration and reconciliation. Uh, real brief testimony, uh, been clean and sober for 27 years. But 27 years ago, uh, I lost everything. I grew up in the streets of Brooklyn. I've been shot in the head. I've been beat up. Uh, I was an unlicensed pharmaceutical representative for many years. And, uh, yeah, I grew up in, uh, I mean, I started getting high when I was 10 years old, 12 years old. Drank and drugged. And uh, met a beautiful young lady. We got married, and 27 years ago, I lost everything. Restraining order, divorce, wound up in a state institution, Marlboro State, I wound up in. And a lot of you don't remember Marlboro State. I used to say Marlboro State Medical Center. Marlboro State Psychiatric Hospital. That's where they put you when they want nothing else to do with you. But I wound up on the other side, in the, in the no, no hope, New Hope, and uh, bankrupt. Blah, blah, blah. Everything goes along. All the good things that come along with drug addiction. Uh, I had a five-year-old son. I wasn't allowed within 100 yards of him. There's no greater pain 
from a parent to be separated from his child. And I felt that pain. And again, I lost everything. And this morning, I, I, I want to give you some hope in the gospel, because that's the only thing that saved me. I tried different programs, different... There's a class they teach at a local college. I love this. I wish they had this when I went to college. Well, I didn't go to college, but if I did go to college, I wish I had this class called Moderation Management. It's three credits. You can get three credits, and they teach you how to drink responsibly. <laughs> Mike, did you take that class, Mike? I probably would have skipped out on it. But I want to talk this morning about God's true power through restoration and reconciliation. We talk about restoration and reconciliation. I believe that one of the most important persons that we can discuss, the Apostle Paul. I believe that no other person apart from Jesus Christ shaped the history of Christianity like the Apostle Paul did. Paul loved Christ both in chains and out. Didn't matter. Even before he was a believer, his actions were significant, as it probably is for most of us. I know it was for me before I was a believer. I grew up in a, in a faith of... Uh, well, don't go tell the Pope. I, mean, I grew up as a Catholic, and, and I, I, I went to Catholic school. A lot of you young people don't understand this, but when I went to school, the teachers hit you. And I'm not just talking. They slug you, and they clock you, and they, they whack you really good. And then I go home and tell my old man, and he'd whack me. And I say, but I didn't do anything. And he whacked me again for lying. So I learned early on not to tell my old man, first of all. And, and then just, it, it was just, when I went to, early on in, in my faith, they did the mass in Latin. Now imagine if I got up here today and started going, Nomine Patri Filio Spiritus Son. I didn't know what was going on. And, and, and I grew up to know a God who was a punishing God. And I figured if I'm going to get punished, I might as well get a good seat or I'm going to hell. So I tore it up pretty good. And that's what I did. And I didn't know the God that I know today. And through high school, through drugs, alcohol, pick it. The seven deadly sins, I did eight all the above. I was not a nice person. I was an evil person. In Brooklyn, it was like you drank, you drug, you robbed, you gambled, you shot. Okay, what else is there to do tonight? Well, we shoot someone else. Okay, that's cool. But I believe that Paul following Christ's command to go out to the gospel, go out into the world and share the gospel with everyone. Paul's personal encounter with Jesus Christ changed his life forever. He never lost his intensity, but now it was for the gospel. You know, to think his mission in life early on was to set out and destroy Christianity by persecuting Christians. That's what he did. His transformation by God changed him from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher for Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel that we have right here in our hands today. I, too, have seen that in my life, and, and I want to discuss that with you this morning. His life was dedicated to preaching Christ throughout the Roman Empire, completely. On three separate missionary trips that resulted in shipwrecks, stoning, prison, torture. He had always praised in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I really don't think I'd be single while I was in prison. Definitely wouldn't be. I've done some prison ministry, visited prisons, and I don't know. Throughout his time of travel, he wrote many of his letters to the various churches, which became a large part of the New Testament. Again, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison being tortured, I wouldn't be writing anything that looks like the New Testament. I'd be writing to my lawyer. I'd write to my congressman. 
I might even write the past in Joe, but I don't think he'd help me. He'd probably leave me in there saying I deserve it. You know, Joe. And one of those letters I want to look at this morning is the book of Philemon. I want up your Bibles, race the Hebrews, put on the brakes, and step back one. It's, a little, it's like a little postcard from Paul. The shortest epistle he wrote while he was in prison and shows the warm and caring side of Paul's personality. The book of Philemon reminds me that Jesus Christ alone has the power to change all human relationships. First one, he starts off with Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Paul starts off this letter as he does in Ephesians as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. He never considered himself to be a prisoner of Rome, his circumstances, or of the Jews, but a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And that's what I am today. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. It was written by Paul during his Roman imprisonment, described in Acts 28, verses 30. It's one of his prison epistles. And again, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, all in prison. At this time, he's under what some have called house arrest. It's so important, this letter, because it shows us that a new life does not release us from our old debts, that both being financial and spiritual. You know, we have people that come to Christ and everything's going to be great. Come forward, you do the altar call, you accept Christ, you go out to work tomorrow, you're going to get a promotion, wife's going to forgive you, you're going to get that new car. No. No. It's not that easy. We have a responsibility to make things right, to seek that restoration and reconciliation. It takes work. It's important to note that Paul doesn't call himself an apostle in this greeting. He's writing as a friend more than as an apostle. He's on to say, beginning of verse 2, he says, To the beloved Aphia, Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was sending his greeting to the entire household of Philemon. Aphia was probably his wife and Acrippus his son. We learned at the time the church met in houses, mostly due to the persecution of the church. We don't have the freedom. They didn't have the freedom that we have here today. You know, it always amazes me that in some parts of the world right now, what we're doing, armed troops could come in here and haul us away, put us in prison or worse. Do you, do you love that freedom? Do you use that freedom? When I was out there drinking and drugging, I'd be screaming and yelling and cursing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But today, am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I love it when I'm out in the store or in Lowe's or something. I'll be in Lowe's and all of a sudden I run into someone and I'll say, Hey, Pastor Kevin, oh, how you doing? Great. What's going on? Ah, nothing much. What's going on with you? Ah, pray for my son. He's wah, wah. I said, well, let's pray right now. They go, here? Yeah, right here. In the plumbing aisle. Really? And they're like, oh, oh. It's like I want to break out a crack pipe in aisle seven. No, it's like, let's just pray for, let's pray for your son. And it's so cool because sometimes I'll just pray right there. And when I say amen, I look up, everybody's frozen. And you get a couple of people do this and they carry on with their little carts and everything. But it's like, am I ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I shouldn't be. Early church had no property. Jews had the synagogues. But most of the time, they met in secret in people's homes, probably the first home groups. We should do likewise today, open our houses up to other Christians. And here we see Philemon getting a letter from Paul, Paul the Apostle. 
If you got a letter, if you went home to, well, the mail doesn't work on Sundays, I don't think. On Monday, you went home and you opened up the mailbox and there was a letter from Paul the Apostle. Would you tear it open and read the first page, the second page? Well, I'll read the rest later. I'll do it tomorrow in my devotions. No, you'd be like, whoa, 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 Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And, and, and that's what I challenge you sometimes. Sit down if you have the time. Go through the epistles. Sit down and read Timothy first. Sit down and read Philemon. Sit down and read a book. Like it's a letter. Paul wrote the book of Colossians. Paul wrote these letters. Read it like it's a letter. It's a love letter to you. Go through it. Read it all. Beginning in verse 4, he goes on to say, Thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith might become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, that because of your hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, my brother. Paul gives thanksgiving to God for Philemon. But you know, Paul, as an apostle of Christ, prayed often for Philemon. And he prayed with thanksgiving. Paul can thank Philemon because of his love and faith toward Jesus Christ and towards all the saints. And what a testimony of prayer that Paul would acknowledge him. Praying for Philemon. Not for rulers and powerful people, but for Christians like you and me. And I need to do that today more. You notice he says here, making mention. Making mention means that Paul did not always pray long, intricate prayers for Philemon, but he did often make mention in him, in his prayers. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Paul, as you remember how wonderfully he had met the needs of the Christians, he effectively refreshed the hearts of others. And the question, the question I put out there for you kids this morning, I'll ask a lot of questions. I don't want answers. Don't raise your hand because I'm not going to call on you. Do we do that today? Do we refresh the hearts of others? I try, but I usually fall short. Beginning in verse 8, Paul speaking to Philemon regarding an essence. He says, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you to do what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten while I my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to both you and me. We see Paul right there at the beginning of verse 8 speaking to Philemon regarding Onesimus. He was an escaped slave, belonging to Philemon, who encountered Paul in Rome. We don't know if Onesimus sought out Paul or maybe just came upon him as a divine intervention. I think he led him to Christ, because he says, He whom I begotten while in my chains. The thing that strikes me so amazingly here about Paul, while in chains, laboring for the cross, how much that speaks to my heart as I go about my struggles on a daily basis. My struggles. Traffic on the Garden State Parkway. Oh, that's a struggle. Oh, my car broke down. Ah, oh, the dog went to the bathroom on the rug. Ah, oh. well, your car broke down. Weren't you supposed to bring it to get repaired last week, Kev? Yeah, I didn't get a chance, so it broke down. So that's a struggle. No, that's just stupid. Your dog went to the bathroom on the rug. Did you let the dog out last night? No, I forgot before I went to bed. Okay, so it's on you again. It's my problem. Those are my struggles today. Am I still laboring for the cross? Not always. 
Now you, as you go through these struggles every day, laboring for the cross, it's a challenge. Another thing that speaks to me so much about Paul is that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he could have easily ordered him. Free Onesimus. If I name him, free him. Just free him. But he appealed to him here. He based his appeal not on his authority, but on Philemon's Christian commitment. He wanted, Paul wanted Philemon's heartfelt, not grudging obedience. Isn't that still true today? When we know something is right, and we have the power to command it, as Paul does right here, do we appeal to our authority or to the other person's commitment to restoration and reconciliation? Paul shows us here how to deal with a possible conflict and to work it out. Work towards reconciliation and restoration. As a pastor, I too like to think I have authority. I don't. But I think I do. But I'd much rather appeal to the other person's commitment to restoration. I, I can't order someone to be restored, but I can appeal to them with God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we do in the ministry of U-Turn for Christ. You know, we take the broken, the beat up, disheveled, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. People say to me one time, what's your success rate at U-Turn for Christ? Person, 100%. Really? The secular world boasts, it's in their brochures, that they have a 5% success rate. 5%. I wouldn't be bragging if I was getting 5%. If you were batting 5% in the majors or 5%, we guarantee 100% because 100% of the people come through this program here, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if anything, we ruin their drinking. We just totally destroy their drinking. We totally destroy their drug use because when the gospel goes forth, God's word never returns void. And at one point, when you leave that program, you decide to drink a drug, in the back of your head, you're going to hear it. And that's the only appeal that I have. That's all I have. In verse 11, Paul speaks of Anesimus both being unprofitable and profitable. He's making a play on word. The word Anesimus means profitable. Now that he's a Christian, he can live up to that. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) And how true is that in our lives today? I know before Christ came into my life, I was good for nothing. I was a sinner with no hope. Today, I'm still a sinner. But now I have the hope of Christ in my life. True forgiveness, true restoration means we treat people the way we would want to be treated. It's not always easy for me to do. Sure, I want to be forgiven. Oops, sorry. Didn't mean that. Well, you forgive me, great. But what did you do that for? Do I do it? I fall short and I hesitate sometimes. The question is today, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? And mean it with all your hearts. Have you truly shown forgiveness and kindness? It is so significant, if you take nothing else away from this, realize that Paul claims that in Christ, the useless person can be made useful. The useless person can be made useful. I'm an example of it. Note here, beginning in verse 12, Paul sends an estimate back with the hope that Philemon would allow him to return. He says, I am sending him back. You, therefore, receive him. That is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I want to do nothing, that your good deed may not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. 
Onesimus had done something wrong, no doubt. And he escaped from his master. It was time to set that right, and Paul was willing to send him back. Yet Paul obviously wanted Philemon to deal with him gently. Under Roman law, the slave owner had complete and total control over his slave. It wasn't usual, it wasn't unusual for a slave to be crucified for lesser things than escaping. Essentially, Paul gives Philemon the freedom to do what is right before the Lord, and he gives him the freedom to do of his own choice, his own free will, not out of Paul's compulsion. And the question is, do we do that today? Do we ask people to do something out of obligation or out of love, out of concern? It's a challenge. He goes on to say in verse 15 and 16, and these particular verses are near and dear to my heart, and I'll explain it to you in a few minutes. And it says here that, For perhaps he departed for you for a while, for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In some ways, the escape of Onesimus is nothing but trouble. Really. Nothing but, nothing but a nightmare. A problem. It deprived Philemon of a worker, an asset, and made Onesimus a criminal and possibly subject to death. Yet in all, Paul could see a purpose of God, and he wanted Philemon to see that purpose. Do we today see a purpose of God's work in our life, and do we want others to see that purpose? You know, when Paul writes that you may receive him forever... That was one aspect of the purpose Paul saw, saw in God working in Onesimus' life. Philemon, the master, lost a slave, but Philemon, the Christian, gained a brother. And he gained a brother forever. Here we see the hand of God working in Onesimus' escape. God's word says he works all things together for good. Do we always see that? No, I don't see it. There are days I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? Didn't you get the memo? That's not what I wanted to do. And he laughs. If you ever talk to God and you call him up and he's like just finishing a good laugh session, it's because he probably just got finished working with me. We see Paul looking at the hand of God in Onesimus' escape. This verse is very dear to my heart because, uh, like I said, 27 years ago I lost everything. My wife filed for divorce, a restraining order, bankruptcy. I had the two matching suitcases that she gave me. They were actually green garbage bags without even the twist ties that she gave me all my stuff in. I was homeless. I was living with my brother in North Jersey. He had a one-bedroom house with three kids, and on a good night, I got the couch. He was still active in his addiction. Uh, and I decided not to drink anymore, not to do drugs. And... Uh, I hadn't seen my wife or wasn't allowed near her for a season, a long season. And the divorce was pretty evident when the marshal shows up with a stack like this thick of charges against me. Whoa. And it was all true. I was a bum. I was evil. The woman that I vowed before God to marry and love and cherish, I treated like, like junk. Cheated, stole, robbed. She used to sleep with a pocketbook under a pillow. not proud of it. It was horrible. My son was five years old. He was afraid of me. 
I never hit her physically, I might add, but I destroyed her emotionally, and uh, I pretty much accepted my life. I'm going to be a single dad, and I just got to do the right thing, and hopefully I'll get to see my son. And I used to get to see him supervised. That's fun. You know, like I said, I come from the streets of Brooklyn, and I, I, I surrender to me. I didn't surrender, man. I didn't surrender. I'd fight you to every last breath I had. Surrender was a sign of weakness, but here I finally just surrendered, and I was winning. And Christ was in my heart. I accepted Christ. People took me to church one Sunday up in North Jersey. The neighbors, not my brother. <laughs> and it was good. It was a different church. It was a loving God. It was, a love, it was God who loved it. It was a Christian church. I loved it. Music. Guy came out with a Hawaiian shirt on. Like the guy had today was like, whoa, where did he get that shirt? That's a cool shirt. I want one of those. The next week I went back again. Same thing. People greeted me at the door like, yeah, hello, how you doing? Welcome. You don't know me, do you, right? <laughs> and the next week I went back again. They had a special speaker. And they did an altar call, and I just broke down and cried like a little girl. I was sitting in a balcony just like this at this large church. And I walked down the stairs, and I walked forward, accepted Christ, and I was numb. And I, just didn't, I just didn't know. For the first time in my life, I learned about a loving, forgiving God. I don't know if you get, we were driving home from church, and, and the couple took me. They said, how are you feeling? I said, I don't know. And they went, oh. And I went, oh. What's going to happen to me now? Am I going to be like on a corner with the tambourine selling incense or something? I, I was like, whoa, the brainwash is setting in. I'm going to be like Ali Key. But I, I started to do the right thing. I got a Bible. I wrote in it. I remember my wife actually got me the Bible, my soon-to-be ex-wife. I remember writing in it. And I called her and said, hey, is it all right to write in this Bible? She goes, yeah, you can write it. It's okay. And she didn't believe me. She thought it was all a scam again because that's what I did. I lied. I scammed. But verse 15 and 16, my wife later told me the story about she was reading this scripture in the kitchen. And as clear as day, the Lord told her, for perhaps he departed for you for a while for this purpose, that you may receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. How much more to you, but in the flesh. And she got down on the floor and wrestled with God. She fought with him. She argued with him. I mean, the divorce is going through. Uh, she was a Christian. She accepted Christ at the time. And I remember getting up. Oh, getting up. I came to. And I used to look at her sitting outside with a Bible when I was still home before everything broke. And uh, she'd be out there reading her Bibles on her back deck. She was going to a, a support group that didn't like me, obviously. <laughs> and uh, she had a peace, that peace that surpassed the understanding. Well, I'm sitting in the bathroom putting a gun in my mouth trying to blow my brains out thinking that's the best way out. And uh, God spoke to her as clear as this could be. And months had gone by, many, many, many months gone by, and uh, I was allowed to start visiting the house, you know. My house I was allowed to visit, which thankfully through bankruptcy and foreclosure, she was able to maintain it and keep it. And I'll never forget, it was about seven or eight months later, I went there one day and she said to me, he said, you really seem to mean it this time. It looks like you're really trying. I said, yeah, we've been married for like 12, 13 years, been together for years. And she says, well, if you're really serious, maybe we can try and restore this marriage. 
I was looking around for the lawyer. I'm looking around. I thought it was on candid camera or something. I thought it was like a, a bad joke, but she meant it. And the old me would have said, okay, I'm back in. I got stuff. Let's go. But I said, let, 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 me, you know, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. You pray about it. I pulled out of the driveway. I left. I made about a quarter mile down Englishtown Road because we used to live up here in Oldbridge. And I cried like a little girl. I couldn't believe it. And we started seeing counseling. And uh, through God's grace and mercy, uh, we got restored. Our marriage got restored. We're back together again. It's a lovely young lady over here. And uh, I have a, a son now. That son that I wasn't allowed within 100 yards of. He's a graduate of Vanderbilt University Law School on a full scholarship. He's a second in his class. I want to know why second, but he got second. Uh, he's a Christian. He's walking with the Lord. He's a practicing lawyer in D.C., which is usually an oxymoron. But, and, and it's praise God. And, and, and that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was it easy? No. But God spoke to Noreen. And you can ask her later. I mean, he spoke to her as clear as day. She's like, no, no. He's like, yep, yep. But I had to do the legwork. Was it easy? It was two years or three years before I had access to this checking account. One day she handed me the card. She said, yeah, you should have this for the bank. I'm like, to this day, I, I, I don't think I have any checks because I, well, I always forget to tell it. I write a check. And that's, that's another issue we need to discuss at another time, which probably would pass to Joe after some counseling. But it, it, it's, it's a blessing to see what God can do. Was it easy? No. Did she trust me right away? No. No. I didn't trust me. You know? The amazing thing was is, is Paul commits a personal restitution, and I had to commit to it. Did it take leg work? I went to a recovery program. I kept my, 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 my recovery going. Accountability. To this day, I have accountability. 27 years later, I still don't go, just disappear. I still don't spend money for what I want to do, you know? My phone is an open book. My computer is an open book. Oh, you know, people say to me all the time, we haven't drank in 27 years. Can, can, can you drink now? I says, I know. Here's the amazing thing. It took me this long to figure out. I'll let you in this secret, all right? You know, if you don't drink, you don't get drunk. Figure that one out. If you don't drink, you won't get drunk. If you don't do dope, you won't get high. You don't get fired. You don't get a D DWI. You don't, you don't get this, you don't get this. <clears throat> and I know for a fact, as bad of a day as I'm having, the friends in my sphere of influence, I can't get a drink or a drug. If I went up to Mike, Mike's a good friend of mine over here. If I went up to Mike today and said, hey, Mike, here's 100 bucks. I don't have it, so relax. Here's 100 bucks. Give me a bottle of Heineken. He'd whack me over the head probably, first of all, and I'm not going to get it. But if I go to the old neighborhood and hang out with the old boys... I get it for free. And for me, I, I don't do that. It's 27 years clean and soap. I haven't had a drink or a drug. I had surgery like Joe. I'm falling apart, too. I've had, I've had my hip replaced. I didn't do the, the girly shot. I got the real thing, Joe. <laughs> oh, he's going to listen to this later, and I'm going to get a phone call tomorrow. <laughs> but I had a hip replacement, and they gave me, you know, the miracle pills. My wife got them. She dispersed them, you know. I had a rotator cuff surgery, this one, a couple years ago. Same thing. Oh, you don't trust yourself? No. No. I remember the doctor saying, I'm going to give you these drugs. I said, oh, he said, why, you don't like them? I said, no, I like them too much. That's the problem. And the doctor's like, oh, I get that now. So for me, the restoration and the reconciliation has to take place 
within our own hearts. And it's a maintenance thing. I have to constantly do it. You know, I don't go to places where alcohol and drugs are served. You know, the analogy is you never see a blind guy in a movie theater. You ever go to the movie theater and the guy there with the cane just watch? No, they don't go to movies. You know, drunks don't belong around alcohol. I know if I don't drink, I won't get drunk. You know, and it, it, it's really not that hard to figure out. Because everything that goes along with because I'm not going to just have a, a little drink. And I see people take a little drink and they put it down. No. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm going for the fence. And I'm going to the deep end of the pool and I'm going to drown. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. Paul does the most he can do without using his authority. And that's what I love about him. What an awesome plea for mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. Do we do this today? Listen up, kids, and this is it. Paul's appeal is powerful because he stood before a guilty man and said to the owner of the slave, I know this man is a criminal and he deserves punishment. Bottom line. But this slave is also my friend, so if you punish him, punish me also. I stand beside him to take his punishment. Isn't that what Jesus Christ does for us before us God in heaven? Paul's person I use says, charge to my account. He's essentially doing what Jesus did for us. Took away our sins. How awesome is all of that? Our sins were charged to Christ's account. Paid in full. I don't relish in the things I did. Am I ashamed of my life, what I did? Yes, it was a disgrace what I did to this young lady. But I can't change what I did yesterday. Like I said, yesterday's a canceled check, tomorrow's a promissory note, today's cold cash. I'm going to spend that cash wisely. I'm here this morning to tell you that if you're struggling, change it. Was it easy? No. It's hard. But I tell you what, what I got, Donald Trump couldn't buy with all those millions. I got a piece that surpasses understanding. And after all this is over, I'm going to heaven. Yay, I can't wait. Sign me up now. You know? Philemon owed himself to Paul, meaning that Paul probably led him to Christ. Verse 20, he says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience. I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. As Paul's close personal friendship was with Philemon, he freely asked for lodging in his home. Which means that Paul had reason to believe that Philemon is going to give it to him. No problem. In fact, I believe Paul is so confident Philemon will do even more than what Paul's asked for. Isn't that what Jesus does for us today? You know, so often our prayers fall so short. You know, how often do we pray, Lord, if you can, I know you're busy, just help me out. You know, I, I, I want to get 100 on this exam, but if you can get me 90, <coughs> I'll take it. No, we need to pray with thanksgiving in our heart. You know, the example I always use with the guys is you walk into an ice cream store and you say, give me two scoops of vanilla. Want sprinkles? No, thank you. The guy walks away. He's going to come back with the two scoops of ice cream. We already thanked him. We know it. You go get a slice of pizza. You want pepperoni? No, just regular pizza. Thank you. He goes and gets it. He always comes back with the pizza. Do we do that when we go to Christ and say, Lord, I'm praying for this thing in my life. I'm praying for this. Do we do that? I don't always. I don't always. Knowing that he will do even more. Paul's letter is full of appeal. 
but it was also full of hope. Philemon was not a bad or a harsh man, I'm sure. He had every reason to expect that he would fill his Christian duty and do even more than Paul had asked. Are we ready to do more when working on restoration? It's not something I do naturally. Definitely not. What I do naturally is sin. I'm very good at sinning. I have a master's degree in stupidity. When I woke up this morning and if I wanted to cheat, I, would, I wouldn't have to call Pastor Joe or Pastor Vinny. I'd say, hey, Vinny, how do I cheat? How do I rob? No. How do I lie? No, I know how to do that. What I need to do is pick up this book and read how not to. And somewhere between Genesis and Revelation, I'm going to find the answer. Do you read your Bible every day? I work a secular job, and guys, I mentioned, you know, you go to church, you read that Bible every day? What's the matter? You don't retain what you read? Yeah, I don't, because I'm pretty burnt. But I'm okay with that. I need the instruction manual. I often say my life verse is Proverbs 30, verse 2. Look it up later. You'll get a chuckle. Proverbs 30, verse 2. That's my life verse. I'm okay with that. But here we see in verses 23, Paul says his greetings. And he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. In concluding this letter to Philemon, Paul sends greetings to Philemon from some uh, common friends of his. I know some of the guys that he's hanging out with, by the way. Mark, the gospel writer. Luke, the gospel writer. Not a bad crew. I think he's a name dropper. That's what I personally think. He's kind of like telling, listen, here are the guys. Say, you know, help us out. See what you can do for me. You know what I'm saying? And here it is, guys. Wake up. If you're snoozing, wake up and listen to this. Paul never called for the overthrow of slavery. Yet the greatest social changes come when individuals are changed one heart at a time. Are we doing that today? Or do we get caught up in numbers and not people? One heart at a time. Within my sphere of influence. You know, I can't change that you know, 93,133 number to, to, to one number less. Unless I do what I keep continuing to do every day through the gospel. And through all the work, and through all, and listen, don't, don't get me wrong, the ministry is heartbreaking. Uh, we've lost probably a couple dozen men. It's only for men we deal with over the last couple of years. We've buried them. And it's awful. And there are times like that I say, I'm done. I just can't do this no more, Lord. And then, yesterday, my wife and I, when I we took a bike ride down the shore out to have lunch. And across from us in this outdoor cafe was one of the guys from the program. He's in phase two. He's stayed on. And here he is sitting there having lunch with his daughter, who two months ago, three months ago, she wanted nothing to do with him. The family was estranged. And here he is sitting at a table outdoor having lunch because her birthday is Monday. She drove an hour and a half to have lunch with Dad. I'm sitting there. I'm almost crying like a little girl looking at this thing. I'm like, that's why I do what I do. And I went over to him. What are you doing? Ah, we went to the beach this morning. She drove up to see me. Monday's her birthday. We're going to go get ice cream. Then we're going to go to the ball game. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And those, that's why we do what we do. Because I see those rewards. Onesimus was obligated to return to his master. Just like I was obligated. When we do wrong, we need to do our best to set it right. Being made a new creation does not end our responsibility. 
to make restitution. It increases it. Even with restitution, restoration, it's difficult. I was bankrupt. I had a credit score of negative, I think, 210. I think I owed them points on my credit score. Uh, but I started paying people off and paid them off. And we paid them off. $5 a month, $100 a month, whenever we could afford I got a job. <laughs> Went to work every day. Here's a new novel idea. Sober. Got a promotion. Got another job. Got better. Paid everybody off. Got a credit score now that's the top. I have a gold card. Actually, I checked online last week. They could tell you what, how much you can spend. And I went online to get a Maserati, because I want a Maserati, in case anybody's thinking. My birthday is September, so I want a Maserati. Here you go. And I went through a whole process, and I got approved. I was one button away from getting my Maserati on the gold card. There's still issues we're working on, kids, but I'm telling one button, just click. And they would deliver it to my house, the color, everything. I had my Maserati coming. I know, I'm just saying. How, how, how upset could she have gotten? $2,700 a month car payment and the $2,000 a month insurance. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. God will provide. So anyway, I don't like the couch because I don't want to sleep on the couch, so I didn't get the Maserati. But my birthday's in September if you guys want to. Blue with the tan leather interior, please, the four-door. There you go. There you go. I'm not, it's, not the, it's not the most expensive one. There's, there's other ones you can get. I, I'm not greedy. It ends here. Paul closes with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you for your spirit. Amen. What we got to see here, guys, are some very enduring principles from Paul's letter to Philemon. Again, I'm going to repeat this to you. The greatest social changes come when people are changed one heart at a time. In our society, racism and our low regard for the unborn life cannot be eliminated by laws. A change of heart has to occur. You know, I, I talk about this 93,133 number. And I know this country's gone through a pandemic the last year and a half. It's real. I, I, granted, I give you that. Vaccine, anti-vaccine, that's not my gig. You do what you want to do. That's your business. But how many people are screaming about these 93,133 lives? You don't hear about it. You probably, I don't think anybody here heard about it on the news. And most of you here probably listen to the news. Has anybody heard that number? No. Has anybody heard the number of unborn babies that we killed in the womb? Has anybody heard about how many drunk drivers have been killed? Drunk drivers have killed people. We don't hear that. We need to scream. We need to, you know. So we change it through social changes. There's laws on the books against driving drunk. People do it. There's laws against killing babies, I thought. But we can do that. There's laws against overdoses, but we can do it. And I, I, in my heart of hearts with what's going on, with how this garbage is pouring into this country, if I was to come back here a year from now, if I get invited back, I don't know about that, after a comment about Pastor Joe, but I might. I bet you that number's going to be double. It should, it should kill us. It should break our hearts. It causes us to weep. So pray, pray, pray for the ministry of U-Turn for Christ. Pray that we continue to not grow weary in doing good because lives are being changed one at a time. Onesimus was obligated to return to his master. He was morally responsible for his wrongs and Philemon demonstrated that we're not primarily directed by economics, whether rich or poor. Sin knows no, doesn't know your bank account. Rich or poor. Upper class, low class, park place or a park bench is going to get you if you decide. 
It'll be directed by the Spirit of God, not by economic situation. Reconciliation and restoration means reestablishing relationships, guys, gals. Christ has reconciled us to God and to others. Any barrier such as barrier to slave and to master with Onesimus and Philemon, got to be changed. Must not be a barrier to restoration. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus will change that barrier between those two and he will restore any barrier you or I might have with anyone else. Reconciliation between God and us when Jesus had to die. Reconciliation always means someone has to die. Husband, be a distance from your wife right now. The only way there will be is reconciliation if someone dies. Wives, husbands, will you choose to end that battle today? Between you and your spouse by laying down your point of view, your way of thinking, your anger, your bitterness. You want to, you want, you want to, you want a book on anger and bitterness? Go speak to Noreen after the service. She'll scare you. Biblically, she had every right. If she was to have walked into Pastor Joe's office 27 years ago and said, Pastor Joe, biblical grounds for divorce. Check, check, check. Joe would stamp it. He doesn't have a stamp, really, for that. Joe won't do that. She had biblical grounds for divorce. She had every reason. She could have been remarried. Next month, or September, right after my birthday, when I get to Maserati, a week later, it was our 40th wedding anniversary. 40 years of marriage. Can you believe that? I, I often tell her, murder, she could have been out in 20. And she said, yeah, but it wouldn't have been as much fun. But I think right now, your anger, your way of thinking, your bitterness has to change. But she has to pay for what she did to me. She has to pay for what she did to me. Shut up. Really? Wah, 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 wah. Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a permanent attitude. Making amends and restitution requires this. Action. And here's the best part, kids. It's already been paid for by Jesus Christ as he bled on the cross at Calvary. He absorbed that sin specifically. We don't have to pay for it. All that remains for us to do is say, thank you, Lord, I'm free. Free indeed. Some of us here this morning are anesthetists. Be restored. Open your heart to the Lord and do what is right. If you're anesthetist, I have awesome news for you. God can do something wonderful in your life today if you choose to do what is right. Take responsibility for your actions. Some of us here might be Philemon. Do unto others. You need to say, I have no right to hold on to that debt, this unforgiveness in my heart, and this bitterness towards that person. And even though I may not agree with him or her, I've been hurt badly by that person. I'm going to see Christ dying for that sin and embrace that person once again. And some of us are like Paul. We're looking for ways to make peace. If you're making peace between people at war with one another, good for you. Good for you. In humility, you're not pulling rank, using your authority, but simply willing to not only point out the problem, but also ready to get your own hands dirty to help people pay that price. Who are you this morning? I want to close with just an encouragement. I think it's in Isaiah where it says, He is the repair of the breach to restore the streets to dwell in. 
There's a thousand scriptures in here from Genesis to Revelation, I can tell you. I, I, I don't... I wake up every day these last 27 years of restoration. It's been like a dream. You ever have a dream you wake up and you go, that was a great dream. Man, if I woke up tomorrow and these last 27 years have been a dream for what I've gone through, I'd be happy just to have had the dream. Instead, I always say, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. And then after this, I'm going to heaven. Cash me in. I'm ready to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm okay. You know, do I have problems? Yeah, I could probably keep you here about 10 minutes and keep you all my problems. But I'll keep you here till next Sunday telling you all my joys. You know, I, I can't, I, I just can't. Has it been easy? No. Has it been a challenge? Yeah. But right now, I, I'm, I'm truly living the dream. And, and, and I pray that through you and your heart, that you seek that restoration, seek that reconciliation. It's not like God says, all right, I'm going to pick one. No, no, no. All right, Kevin and Irene, we're going to fix him. The rest of you guys, poof, you're on your own. The God of the universe, the name that stands above all names, he wants to do it for you, for you, for you. I mean, talk to Mike back there. There's a, there's a history, and I know Mike personally, and the restoration is taking place in his life. And i got a hundred more stories like that. I look around at the U-turn ministry on a Friday night when we get together and Pastor Joe or Pastor Vinny come over to share the gospel with these guys. You know? Father sitting there with his son. You know? Family comes to visit on Sunday, sitting in a restaurant yesterday with this kid with his daughter. That couldn't have happened through social programs. That couldn't have happened through medication. I'm not going to get started. I promise Joe I'd be good. But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to offer that to you today. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.